You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. So if you will stand with me as we stand on the solid rock of God's word. What an honor and a privilege it is to read that word. Let's listen to Luke 10, 25 and following. And notice verses 25 through 28. This is the dialogue between Jesus and the lawyer, focusing on that, okay? And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. Now you would think that the dialogue between Jesus and the lawyer would end right there. But the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, verse 29, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And this opens up an opportunity for Jesus to tell the parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by the other side. But a Samaritan... As he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He, the lawyer, said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Let's pray. Lord, help us to be active in our love, in our care for one another, in our service to you. Lord, forgive us for those times, perhaps many times, when opportunities to serve you have come and gone And we have ignored it or walked to the other side. God, convict our hearts. Show us the way forward, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Many years ago in an English lit class, I had a professor challenge the class to to write a, a short essay on love. Now, that sounds like an easy thing to do. Everybody uses that word love a lot, but when you start trying to pin it down, tack it down, and to put it in clear language, love is an abstraction when you're thinking of it as a noun. But there was this wonderful moment in my life uh, just about 10 years ago, I think it was. I, I met this guy in DeSoto, Missouri, where I was pastoring. Clarence Mason, and he's a, a, just a, a brilliant thinker. He's, he has unique perspectives on everything. I didn't always agree with him, but I always enjoyed hearing his take on things. And he said to me one time, you know, love is a verb. And I thought, there it is. We, we don't need to try to define love with abstract terms. What we need to realize is, is that when we have the love of God operative. When when love is action, that's where it is best. Love that isn't active isn't love at all. That's why Jesus says there in Luke 10, 28, do this, which is to say love God 
and your neighbor, and you will live. And last week, that's what we talked about. We talked about just basically, here's a basic Old Testament verse, kind of the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. And Jesus is saying, yeah, you know it, but are you doing it? Is love a verb? And I believe that in this passage, this passage that deals with the Good Samaritan, the focus in many ways is on the lawyer's heart. Of course, we know the, the story, and you have the man who's half dead, and you have the three individuals that uh, come upon him and interact with him, and, well, two don't interact, and one does, but that's the story. But ultimately, this story reveals uh, much about this lawyer's heart. And let me say this. It, it isn't just good for us to learn about a lawyer's heart from 2,000 years ago. The real challenge this morning is to let the Word of God reveal to you something about your heart. Because the weaknesses that we're going to see in not only the lawyer's heart, but in the priest and the Levite's hearts are problems and deficiencies that we have in our own hearts. In the text, you'll notice that the dialogue could have ended in verse 28 between Jesus and the lawyer. But verse 29, the lawyer being a lawyer wanted to define terms. Now, I don't know if you uh, are a lawyer or you have a friend who is a lawyer. But if you ever want to learn how to speak with precision, speak with a lawyer. Because terms matter to lawyers, especially those who are reading contracts. It's all in the details and in the specifics. And so in one sense, what we have here is we have a lawyer doing what a lawyer does. He's saying, okay, now you've told me to be a good neighbor. I'd like to get a nice beat on that. I want to know exactly what that means. I don't want to mess around here. So define your terms. But when you look at what's going on here, the negative side of that, it's not just about defining a term. I believe the lawyer is trying to find love's boundaries. In one way, he's, he's trying to say, okay, where do I love and how far should that love extend? And so one quick word of advice, don't ever look for love's boundaries and be so glad Jesus didn't set a boundary because your sin was great enough that you were beyond help unless Jesus came to you. So if we start setting boundaries, we are not in keeping and in step with Jesus who breaks down all boundaries to bring us love. Church, we can never allow any boundary to be set up that keeps us from sharing the gospel with someone in need. Now in this passage... The lawyer's intentions at first don't seem all that bad, but let me give you a, kind of an, an analogy maybe to show you how bad this really is. Imagine a child getting old enough to understand that, that one day he's going to receive an inheritance from his family, and that child were to go up to the mother and father and say something like this, Mom, Dad, what is the least amount of love I need to show you to make sure that you do not write me out of your last will and testament? Now, that kid's getting nothing for Christmas, okay? 
That is not what a kid, that's, that, that shows zero love. But if you think about what the lawyer has done, he has basically asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? In other words, how much love do I really need to expend and still, you know, get to heaven? Because don't forget, the story here is all predicated on the question is of how can I go to heaven? How do I inherit eternal life? That's the real question. And that's the question I think we're all asking too. We want to make sure that we're going to heaven, and, and it's wrong to set up these boundaries. And Jesus tells this parable, and he shows us that it's possible, very possible. In fact, it's very likely that sometime in our journey, we will choose not to love those who need us most. We will choose not to share with people who are lost a gospel that can alone Save them from their sins. And church, I want to tell you, we, and I include me and the we here, we cannot afford to continue to pass by people and fail to love them as neighbors and even more profoundly share with them the love of Jesus. God is going to bring kingdom opportunities to you and to me, and we cannot pass by those people in need. So let's talk about a couple of things. Hone in on verse 29 with me, and let's talk about lavish love or law. Again, he desiring to justify himself said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, we've already talked a little bit about this idea of like the minimum amount, the analogy of the child asking the parent how much it's going to take to stay in the will. Uh, Dane Ortland, in a beautiful book called Gentle and Lowly, I think I've quoted it a time or two the last several, uh, the last six weeks or so, he makes a distinction in one chapter between a lawish heart and a lavish heart. Uh, a lawish heart or a lavish heart. And let's think about this together. Let's, let's kind of unpack this with another kind of uh, a story here, another analogy. So talking with a dear friend the other day, and we were talking about, you know, what it means to love and to love our spouses well. And so um, this dear friend says to me, you know, my wife says to me the other day, I, I just don't like it that from like 7 in the morning till about 5 in the afternoon, you know, basically when we're at work, uh, I never hear from you. It'd be nice if you would send me a text and just check in on me. So this brother who I really love very much, he and I are type A personalities to a fault. He does what guys like us do, the romantics, those who have read Shakespeare's sonnets and love to quote them to their wives. My wife's over here going, whatever, you know, because I don't do that. But so what he did is he put a reminder in his phone. <laughs> Nothing says I love you like the reminder to remind you that you love your wife and to send her a text message and say so. So, so this brother, he's thinking he's doing good. Every day at about, oh, 10.30 on the dot, he's sending a message to his wife. How you doing, babe? How's it going? I'm being a good husband. Yeah, points for me. And like after about a week, the wife texts back and says these simple words. Am I on your to-do list. Yes. <laughs> yes. Now, 
there is this dynamic. On the one hand, some of you brothers out there are saying, well, at least he tried. Come on. You know, at least he took the time to put the reminder in his phone and thank the Lord for Apple phones and iPhones and all that kind of stuff and technology. At least he did it. Well, that's true. There, There is something to being diligent about doing the work. But there's also a danger in thinking that by fulfilling a task that you are loving well. There is lawish love and there is lavish love. Those are different ideas. This week I went back and looked carefully at Deuteronomy 6, the whole chapter. Because remember, when the lawyer quotes a passage, he quotes the John 3.16 of the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 6.5. And he quotes it well and he answers the question right. But I went back and looked at Deuteronomy 6. And you'll notice in that chapter these phrases repeated. Be careful to do. Diligently keep. So on one hand, I want you to realize that we need to be disciplined. We need to be in the Word. We need to know what the Word says. We need to spend time with Jesus every day. Those are disciplines. Those are things that you need to invest time in and you need to be committed to. You need to be diligent to keep the Word of God. But you also need to make sure that you don't lose your love for Jesus in the middle of your discipline. Because that's the danger. And the balance is to find that middle ground. Look at verse 29. But he desiring to justify himself. That is law-ish, not lavish love. He's looking for the shortest way. He wants to know the extra mile, fair enough. But he doesn't want to go one step further than the extra mile. Those of you who run... I don't know if you're like me. If I tell my mind, I'm going to run three miles and I'm on the treadmill, I mean the second 3.00 comes up, I'm done. I am done. It is rare at this time in my life where I go, oh, let's do another mile. No, I'm like, let's go die. Crawl in the the corner and die. That's what I'm thinking. I, I said I'm going to do three miles and I'm going to do three miles. I think that's the mentality of the lawyer. He wants to go the extra mile, but only the extra mile. I think he's also kind of looking for loopholes. I think that some people read the word of God trying to figure out kind of what it means to be a Christian. And again, just trying to find the minimum amount. Maybe the lawyer is trying to ask the question, how can I spot others who belong to God's people so I can love them? Which would have been a very Hebrew thing to do because the Hebrews really believed they were the chosen people. And so you love the people who were like you and you didn't love the people who weren't like you. Now, in our day today, I, I mean, we don't have biases, do we? I mean, we don't, we don't, we don't have trouble with the other. We, we seem to get along with everybody, right? I mean, America is just a, a melting pot and everybody loves one another, right? Well, no. I mean, every time I open up my, my news app, I am flooded with information telling me how terrible we are at getting along. And so the world is obviously seeing this. And let me just say this. It's a simple idea, but it's pretty powerful. All bias is an attempt to categorize the other as a non-neighbor. A bias is just a way of categorizing or putting someone in a category of, well, I don't need to love them. The Jews had this um, wisdom book called Sirach, or it was a volume called Sirach by Ben Sirah. It says this, if you do good, know whom you do good to, give to the one who is good, but do not help the sinner. That is bad advice. 
church. We, we are here, and by the way, who gets to decide who's good and bad? I mean, honestly, we can use the, the word as a tool there, but ultimately, such a bias is unhelpful and unholy. And I think, church, here's our problem. Many of us, we know the word, but if we're using the word as, as clever excuses for not actively loving, making love a verb, that is sinful, and it must stop. The church today needs to have lavish love. I can tell you, and I can tell myself, you need to witness more. You need to go out and share the gospel more. And all of us, as we're going to talk about here in a moment, need to do better at this. We need to be people who share the glory of the kingdom of God. But let me say this. If you put it on your day planner, if you make it a reminder on your phone, there will be no love in that. What the world needs is more than consistency in your witness. They need you in love with Jesus, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, strength, and soul, and your neighbor as yourself. When we love God well, it's then that we can have lavish love for others. Lavish love for God translates into a faithful witness for God. You can't pass by people made in God's image and not care. Those who are spiritually hurting, you can't see that. I mean, when you listen to someone badmouth the church and badmouth God, do you get mad about it or do you begin to grieve that this is a soul that is one breath away from eternal death and a place called hell? I think today, because of the way our dialogue is in the country, because now we get upset with each other, we have differences of opinion, and we yell at each other, and we get really loud. But Christian, we can't afford to just get mad and get loud. We need to get on our knees and pray for these individuals, humbly serving them and looking for the opportunity to share Jesus with them. And why we are encouraging you to love your neighbor is because the more you love your neighbor today, the more opportunities tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, you're you're going to have to have a kingdom witness. And I've got to tell you, I think that's why the church in America is on a trajectory to a similar fate, not quite as fast moving, but a similar fate. We look like we're heading in a similar direction of the old, strong evangelical churches of Europe. We're heading into serious decline because we're not serious about sharing Jesus with our neighbors. We are not having kingdom conversations enough. We are not telling the world about the thing that we say when we're together is the most important thing to us, the reason why we worship, the reason why we do all that we do. We come here and we put on the Christian hat and we're so excited about Jesus. And where is that excitement out there? If God's love is in your heart, oh, brothers and sisters, he's calling you to do something. Now, let's talk about the difference between chance and providence. The word chance pops up there in verse 29. And, and, and you see it in the sense that a priest and a Levite, by chance, come by this guy 
who is hurting. Let's look at verse 30. It tells us about, Jesus tells about a man who was going down to Jerusalem. So he's at Jerusalem and he was going down to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, those who were listening to this uh, story for the first time in the original setting would have been very familiar with what Jesus was talking about. That road between Jerusalem and Jericho was a well-known road. And it was well-known for being a place where if you really wanted to get robbed, you went down that road. It was called the Pass of Blood. So, hey, where are you taking your joyride today? Well, I'm going to go down the Path of Blood. You know, that's not good, okay? This is a dangerous road. Those of you who've lived in big cities, you know, there are like certain streets that your friends will tell you, you don't want to go down that street. One night I was with Avery. It was just the two of us. We were in North St. Louis, and my car started to die on a street if I named it. And if you're in a person from St. Louis, you'll know this street. And I called one of my friends that lives up in North St. Louis, and he says, did you make it? And I said, well, yeah, I'm talking to you. He said, yeah, because you wouldn't be talking to me if your car would have broke down on that street. Now, that was a street that people knew, that bad things happened. And this was a street, so to speak, a road, so to speak, that people knew that bad things happened. And here, bad things do happen. You see a person who looks to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. This poor guy uh, is surrounded and beaten up and left half dead. They strip him naked. Now, that's not just to shame him. In those days, clothes were very valuable. So his garments would have had value in and of themselves. Think about Jesus at the cross, right? They, they cast lots for his garments. Have you ever thought that was weird? Well, it's not weird. It's because that was a valuable piece of cloth. It was, it, it was something that people could use and utilize. It wasn't a throwaway world. It was a world where things mattered. But here's why Jesus tells the story this way. The man who is hurting has no sign of identification. Okay, he doesn't have his wallet with him for sure, but even the clothes can't tell us if he's rich or poor. Can't tell us if he's a Jew or Samaritan, quite frankly. It can't really tell us anything about who he is. This is just a man in desperate need. Now I want you to push time out with me for just a moment. I want you to think about something here. That's important. Because so often when we tell the story of the Good Samaritan, we emphasize the fact that a, you know, the Samaritan, the one who's the, you know, kind of the outsider, uh, shows love. And the persons that are the insiders, and we'll talk more about this in a minute, but they're the ones that don't show love. That's kind of what we emphasize. But I want you for just a moment to realize this. Jesus really in this parable is not trying to emphasize in the least He's not trying to emphasize racial distinctions. You know what he's trying to do? He's trying to tell us about every human being being in desperate need of God and his love. In a sense, every single person, you and everybody you know, we are all people that have found ourselves in the wrong place at the wrong time. And the world has beat us up. If you do not follow Jesus, let me tell you, you are the one who is half dead. If you take your last breath in this world without Jesus in your heart, you will be separated forever and ever from Jesus. And in this story, if you think about it in those terms, the priest and the Levite, they come along and you say, finally, we have some resolution. We have the right kind of people coming at the right place at the right time to fix the problem. The half-dead man is going to be rescued. But in both instances, you know the story, right? These two pass by and go to the other side. Now, let me try to bring this up to speed, make it a little more modern. 
And I say this uh, not to be mean to anybody because I'm, I'm implicating myself here. But if we were to exchange priest and Levite for elder and deacon, it would mean roughly the same thing. In other words, in this parable, the people who pass by are the people who should be the first responders, should be those who care the best. They are the ones that when the original hearers would have heard it, they would have been like, yeah, these guys, these are supposed to be upstanding citizens doing the right thing. Let me just pause for a moment and say this. I've often thought of this, this parable. I, I've, I've read it many, many times, as, as many of you have. But until I started thinking about that, that hurting man, that half-dead man in spiritual terms, I didn't realize what God was saying to me. Because often I'll read this passage and I think, well, I don't have any major biases. I try to love everybody well. I'm, I think if I saw somebody physically hurting um, and I was the first one on the scene, I would be there and help them. I would do the right thing. I would be kind in the moment of, of chaos. I think I would do that. But Jesus is challenging us to do more than be the first aid kit for someone who's physically hurt. Let me tell you what's going on here. He's talking to those of us who are, are deacons and elders in this room. He's talking to those of us in this room that have been teaching the Bible all their lives. Talking to those of us who were raised in church, know the gospel, know a lot of things about a lot of things about Jesus and the Bible. And yet day after day after day after day after day, we pass on the other side of people in spiritual need. Those who are half dead, we walk by them. We're busy. We have our reasons, but we are not sharing the gospel. It isn't bad luck. It is true. I'm afraid that it are, this is bad choices that we're talking about. That we are surrounded by desperation, desperate people, lost people, and we as Christians are not reaching into lostness and brokenness, and we're believing that we are too good to be any good. The other problem is a lot of people are waiting to be perfect in how they share the gospel, and so they're afraid they'll do something wrong. Listen, if you will just be faithful, listen to me, Jesus takes broken people like you and me, and he uses us for the kingdom. But what he needs from us is for us to be faithful. How many God moments have we missed because love was lacking? How often has our hurry to get on to the next thing kept us from experiencing a God thing? In this room, there's a lot of us who are busy. And there's, I know there's varying degrees of busyness, but when busyness becomes the priority, love loses its luster. And God has put you in a specific place at a specific time to do a specific work, and many of us are passing to the other side instead of doing it. And that brings us to choices made and the sad reality that doing nothing is, in fact, doing something, something sinful. As one commentator puts it, the priest and the Levite, they came, they saw, and they did nothing. And I know that we as Christians, when it comes to our kingdom witness, how many people do we come by and see and then do nothing? There are opportunities many times with people that we have relationships with. We just don't ever move the conversation in a gospel direction. Passing by. 
in this sense is a lack of gospel conversations. And if you were to ask me what is killing my heart and what is killing our church is a lack of gospel conversations. We are not going to grow as a congregation and people are not going to be discipled in the name of Jesus if we are not having gospel conversations. If we are busy and going from point A to point B and we pass three people who we could have a conversation with Jesus about and we continue to do that, that is sin. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.